Hello, and welcome back to another episode of I Don't Want to Watch Alone. Um, so this is essentially the second episode of the show, and this time around, I'm decided I'm after a very successful first episode with our friend Michael McEwen, who made that music you just heard. Clap, 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 clap. clap, clap. Um, I realized that I wanted to maybe shift or just alter the format of the way I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want it to be necessarily like a strict thing, but essentially it's this, that I want to create a podcast where it's just an accessible, fun way of learning about film history um, from many different perspectives and many different entry points. But um, I want to pick a topic or a film movement or a director and talk about that. Um, And I will also pick a film as a way in for me and my guests to talk about said thing. So here today to do that with me for the first time is my wife, Isabel. Hello. I am Isabel, said wife. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> uh, and today we're going to talk about um, Rainer Werner Fassbinder, the uh-huh. uh, famous German, new German cinema director. That guy. That guy, the very same. Um, and we're going to talk about his film Corel which I can say like that instead of in a French accent. Because, Carrel. Because, I'll just say it once so that uh-huh. we can get that out of the way. Because everyone in the, almost everyone in the film except Jean Moreau calls him Carrel instead of yeah. Carrel. So um, try not to butcher that too much. <laughs> um, so before we get into it, I just wanted to do a fun little segment at the beginning where, well, if you weren't, if you didn't live with me, I would be like, oh, what have you been watching recently? But I want to talk about... Exactly. So I want to talk about what we have been watching recently. What have we not been watching? No, I'm just kidding. I think both of us, I think it's safe to say, Mm -hmm. have gone through a bit of a phase of like just watching trash. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, My whole life. uh (laughs) But recently it's been pretty... pretty awful I'm Jordan's just through. scrolling through his movie and I can see a lot of one two stars yeah you know him <laughs> that's just yeah, regular, you're regular day. just a regular old I think maybe we should talk about our um recent uh Sandra Bullock uh how do you even say your name while I've said Sandra, it so Sandra Bullock said it so many times Sandra Bullock Sandra um which started as an accident right we just kind of picked Mr. Congeniality because we wanted to put something on one yeah you that was on one of our lists so Jordan tends to make these um lists uh that I then view after he's chosen about six or seven movies so I'm like make me the list and he opens up all the tabs and then I go through and we see what we're in the mood for and then I'll get rid of three or four and then we'll reconvene and Miss Congeniality was on this list ages ago Boxing Day was it Boxing That's Day? That's when we watched Don Tucker Must Die instead <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yeah so that I guess was on on your mind on my mind yeah and then one day we were just like let's just watch something fun it was during a tattoo that you mm-hmm. gave me I think okay so, yeah, we watched Miss Congenial, and you gave it one star. Yeah, I know. It's pretty mean. What? It was bad, but, like, you it wasn't like that it. bad. Not really. But you enjoyed it. I enjoyed parts of it, for sure. But it was, yeah, it was a bit dull overall. But what what was great was when we moved on to Murder by Numbers. Oh, yeah. Um, wow, that was a, that was a ride. Uh, if anyone likes, like, 90s, um... And early noughties, because this is from 2002. Um, <laughs> like, uh, homicide thrillers. Mm-hmm. This one's a really, really good, trashy it was, one. It was good. It was trashy. It's all it was, over it was, the place. It was, all, it was tense. And it throws things at you in a way that, you know, I guess that unexpected thriller way. But also, it was just really fun. Yeah. Well, did I talk to you about the director? Barbe Schroeder. <laughs> it's very possible that you have. Because he started his career doing this is not an episode on him by the way he started his career doing uh these movies i've not seen them more and uh valley obscured by clouds which were mm-hmm. the, uh pink floyd did the music for them like whole album of music for each movie mm-hmm. but then he made some movies in france like 
Mistress is one that people like supposed to be good. Um, and then in the 90s, I think he just moved to America and started making these because he made Single White Female, which mm-hmm. is definitely a better movie than Murder My Numbers, but um, on the same Let lines. Let people decide for themselves. Uh-huh, yeah. Go watch Murder <laughs> My Numbers if you're looking for a fun so hour good. 45 Ryan Gosling, uh-huh. Sandra Bullock. Uh, Michael Pitt. Michael Pitt's amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, what was next up? Um, and then the net. Oh my god, the net! Didn't I miss one? I thought. Oh no, no, the net was the next one. The net was the next one, which was also very, very bad. Um, so yeah, don't watch the net. Just watch Murder by Numbers. And the net makes you feel like you have no idea how computers work at all, but also it does it in like a really pretentious way. Where there's like a sequence, it felt like ten minutes uh, of just watch this person punch all these buttons, and then stuff appears on the screen, and you're like. What are they even doing? There's no explanation so to quickly. what they're doing. You're just like, well, I, yeah, I get it. They're computer science nerds. Like, I don't know what else to say. Um, anything else? Anything else really worth talking about? Really? Um, <clears throat> um, you're the one that wanted to talk about. No, that. okay, we'll just talk about Sandra Bullock and then we're fine. So yeah, yeah, Sandra Bullock recommendation of the week is part of my Um. Okay, so let's move on to Fassbinder. First of all, I just wanted to ask you whether, is this the first film of his you saw, Karel? Um, Give me, you know my brain doesn't work very well in remembering. Okay, like well maybe I'll go through movies that I would have seen. Um, Fury It's the Soul is probably his most famous one. Uh-huh, I don't think I've seen that. I'll go through my little uh, historical facts and maybe something that okay. comes to mind. Um, so, Randy Werner Fassbinder. Born didn't get that piece of information. It doesn't matter really. The forties probably. Um, he is very famous for being extremely prolific. Mm-hmm. Um, he made forty-one films in thirteen years, and he died at the age of thirty-seven. I know that is a wild. It's incredible. Also, while like directing and writing plays and radio plays, and I think he wrote essays as well. I think there might. I don't know if there's like a. Book he dedicated thing. his life to the craft. He did the crafts. The crafts. Plural. Um, and edited, uh, Carell was his last film, 1982. Um, and I think he died while they were still editing it. And he, he was writing another movie and apparently mm-hmm. whoever was living with him at the time came in and found him just like with a cigarette in his mouth, just like at his desk. R.I.P. R.I.P. Wow. Crazy, right? Um. Died doing what he loves. Died doing what he loved. Uh, but yeah, he started in the mid sixties and, uh, he's like, a very important figure of the new German cinema alongside with people like Werner Herzog and mm-hmm. Vendors. Oh yeah. Uh, Rosa von Pranenheim. I can't remember how to pronounce her last name. Um, and uh, it, arguably people tend to agree that it sort of ended in 82, 82 yeah. to 84 sort of time when uh, Fassbinder died. And come to think of it, like, I've I had a little research and like most German cinema since the mid eighties, I I have no idea about it. Like I just haven't even heard of things coming up. Other even. than Run Lola Run. Yeah. I saw that on a plane. Yeah. Did I tell you? Yeah, you know, that does ring a bell actually. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> You know on planes when you just go, like what do what what do I watch? What is the mood? There is no mood. Uh, so yeah. I just put on Run Lola Run. That's how I seen it. It was Robo exhilarating. Comedy. Yeah, it's a fun Run Lola Run's a fun movie. But yeah, um, German, uh, the the main guys from German cinema who didn't die young, mm-hmm. like Van Herzog and Vin Vendors, obviously mm-hmm. moved to America and started making movies yeah. there, uh, and they kind of kept that spirit of new German cinema alive in 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 their films. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I saw Victoria in like what, oh, that's a German five movie. six years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's it's set in Spain, isn't it? Laia Costa is the main actress. I don't, it might, I don't know if it is in Spanish, no. but she is Spanish. Oh, no, it's a speaking German. It's not speaking Spanish. Laia Costa is supposed to be Spanish in it, I guess. Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So maybe she speaks Spanish, I don't know. But yeah, that was a very, um, I mean, a very, I was going to say, the most recent German oh, film that I remember seeing. You know what, who I want to mention quickly is yeah. uh, Valeska Grisabash. Mm-hmm. How do you pronounce the C-H at the end of a German name? Sure. Um, um actually <laughs> i've just doubted myself really <laughs> anyway you, while you're figuring that out um her sch yeah sure 
Fletcher. Yeah, must be, must be. Okay, she um, most recently made the movie Western, which is incredible. Like, I urge anyone to, and everyone, to watch that movie. It's so good. Um, and she made another one called Longing or Sensum. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the word, Longing? Uh, the reason I'm asking Issa is because she lived in Germany for, like, a number of years, so I feel yeah, like her German is... That being said, it was very long time ago and i haven't read or spoken any German. okay fair enough i shouldn't be putting yes. you in a spot like that but she's a modern german director who i absolutely love wait is marin arde german marin he's doing arde. a bit of a typing i yeah typing i should have movie. looked this up yeah marin arde is another quite a contemporary german filmmaker who people love i didn't like that movie at first tiny erdman people love that one but everyone else and the forest for the trees amazing movies um isn't that a song the forest for the trees probably it's a nice um, phrase. Right? I think it's like, ah, oh, never mind. <laughs> anyway, so back to Fassbender. Um, apparently, well, on the Corel DVD uh, Blu-ray in fact, <coughs> that we have, um, mm-hmm. there was a really interesting introduction by Volker Schlundorf mm-hmm. um, where he gave a nice little history of him. So apparently um, Fassbinder lived in a commune with all of his friends who were in all of his movies and yeah. played different parts. Which we were thinking is probably the only way in which he managed to get all of this work and filming and casting all this stuff done. You cut down on a lot of those man hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Everyone is getting involved Everyone's right just there and you live with them. And apparently he managed to get the financing for his films by getting the money for the next one to yeah. pay for the one he was currently so doing. So it's kind of like a weird transaction where... You don't actually have the money, but you know you're expecting the money for your next project. Yeah. And when you get that, you just you start doing it in that. Mm-hmm. So like he was just churning them out. And apparently in 1970 he made eight movies. I think some of them were released in 71, but he made eight movies in one year. And like, oh, well. I guess anyone in theory could work at a pace like that. But the consistency of his work, like I, I mean, I've seen spotty parts of his career. Mm-hmm. I'm not that familiar with the end of his career. Carell's kind of the only one towards right towards <laughs> the end that I really know. Yeah. Um but uh the quality of some of those early movies are insane. It's insane yeah. he managed to make that many good movies in a row. Um but yeah, so um his early films were much more similar to the other ideas in New German cinema. Mm-hmm. And New German cinema kind of emerged a little after World War Two in the fifties, um, the post-war German film industry, uh, they were just like in complete denial of the war. They just wanted to make cinema that was um, bere- just completely empty of any political commentary yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to just like hide the horrors of the Holocaust and everything. So they uh, made all of these pastoral films, like all set in the country, all of these simple love stories mm-hmm. uh, called um, Heimat films. Mm-hmm. Heimat meaning, do you know the German? Do you know what Heimat means? Um, you put me on the spot. It means homeland. Oh. Right? Um, so, um, yeah, it's just this romanticized idea of what the world would be like in Germany, just like if World War II yeah. wasn't there. Um, and it's because of that feeling of, of guilt, but also of, I guess, the understanding. And it's, you know, what do you do next? Do you incorporate these? This political commentary, commentary, commentary. Can you say both words are fine? Okay, <laughs> you incorporate that in your art, or is that a bit too, like, aware, or do you do what they? Well, did? I I guess because um, most of the films in the fifties were made by, I'm assuming this, major studios and stuff, yeah. and I can't remember what the major studio, UHF or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's a really big studio that made all the films pre-war and I assume yeah. post-war, and. I guess there weren't any sort of, there wasn't that much artistic license in it yeah. until the more independent filmmakers came along. And in 1962, um, these young filmmakers made uh, something called the Oberhausen mm-hmm. Manifesto. And they all signed this manifesto stating that the old cinema is dead and we believe in new cinema. Mm-hmm. And it was like a complete rejection of these Heimat films. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, I was thinking about this and I was thinking how it's interesting how these kind of things pop up around the same time all over the world. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's not that interesting. Maybe that's kind of obvious that after major world incidents, like there's a shift in well, like, like a cultural shift. Like in in Spain and stuff, when Franco's regime mm-hmm. eventually collapsed and there was this, all that censorship 
and yeah. then every Spanish film it all comes was out of that. Yeah. <laughs> the complete opposite mm-hmm. of censorship. Because um, I was also thinking of around, well, I guess about 10, mm. no, a few years earlier, mm-hmm. before 62 in France, um, there was like a, also a rejection. Of, and I think they also called it Cinema du Papa, mm-hmm. which I think in German they also called it, um, it would be the bad cinema in German, um, Cinema of the Father. Uh, I don't know why, I just wanted to say Faja. I'm thinking oh, of Fata. Fata. I don't know, anyway. Um, Faja. So Fassbinder was interesting amongst these filmmakers because his style, especially further on in his career, he was doing this odd genre stuff at the beginning. With mm-hmm. The American Soldier was one of his films that was like kind of like a noir film. Mm-hmm. He was doing these kind of experimental things at the beginning, but then he started to become more and more influenced by uh, melodramas. Mm-hmm. So like American movies like Douglas Sirk. I think I'm definitely going to do a Douglas Sirk episode at some point in the future because okay. I think he's a really fascinating uh, figure. He's originally German, actually, but moved to America to make all of these Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. And um, all that heaven allows is obviously... Uh, it's probably his most famous film and Fassbinder did a sort of semi-remake of it in, in Fury's the Soul because mm-hmm. All That Heaven Allows is about uh, an upper-class woman and uh, the gardener that she falls in love with played by Rock Hudson. Oh, yes. I'm holding my heart, by the way. <laughs> Swoon. Um, and in the Fury's the Soul, mm-hmm. um, it's a Moroccan immigrant mm-hmm. who's in Germany who plays the role of, like, I don't know, whether he's not a gardener because she lives in an apartment block, but I don't remember how she meets him, but it's basically an older woman and this young... Class uh, and, like, age divide. And then it's this race element added yeah. in. Okay. And then, interestingly, after that, um, this is slightly off topic, well, it's not, but in 2002, Todd Haynes, made, another queer filmmaker, made... Um, uh, wait, no, All I Have Loves is the first one. Who's <laughs> the soul? Uh, Far From Heaven mm-hmm. they've all got really similar names they don't um, Far From Heaven with Julianne Moore which is um, a kind of somewhere in between because it has all of his stylistic stuff of all that heaven allows yeah. and it's also about an upper class woman but her gar- it's about her gardener that she falls in love with but her gardener is black so it's like a melding together of the two it's amazing it would make such a good triple feature I mean maybe it'd get a bit boring since it's the same <laughs> movie over and over again but um, anyway so I don't know how it'd be interesting to know how they accessed all these films back then. I, is it that mm-hmm. people, there was like a Cirque uh, screenings on a, a local German cinema. That would be a really cool them. thing to delve into like the history books about how did, how did people manage to view these things? Who was viewing these things? How were you, how were people cinephiles <clears throat> in the sixties? Like yeah. you just had to go to the cinema constantly. Well, Cause nowadays or you have, them on TV or whatever. You have social media, you have the cinema, you have, Every single um, like Amazon Fire Stick, whatever yeah, has yeah, yeah. has an app that has movies on. Mm-hmm. You can some movies are a bit more difficult to access, but you know there's ways to do everything. And back then, you know, how do you I do don't it? Fuck knows, right? That's a, that's for another time, I guess. <laughs> um, so also, what made Fassbinder kind of stand out from everyone else was his um, use of sort of Brechtian ideas of uh because he was very much from the theater as well has been yeah. play stuff um the Brechtian ideas of like the alienation effect um which is interesting talking of Brecht mm-hmm. there's another link was that um I think it's from 1970 Volker Schlundorf our yes. guy from the introduction um he made an adaptation of a Brecht play called Baal and Fassbinder plays the main character Baal Ooh. and it is amazing uh, highly recommend that movie too. Um, but yeah, all of that ironic uh, ideas that Cirque uses in his melodramas that has sort of. So at the time when they released, these Cirque movies were sort of considered like women's pictures or whatever. And Cirque was using this studio system to make these sort of ironic movies about these people. Mm-hmm but still making them appealing to the masses and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously artists like Fassbinder were really inc- like amazed by how they did that. So Fassbinder's films became more and more this sort of detached, ironic version of these women's pictures, ideas, 
that he sort of dealt with um, ideas of what's happening. I think it's fine. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> the computer glitched a bit. Computer glitched. <laughs> um, so he was using these ideas, uh, these techniques of melodrama mm-hmm. to talk about the horrors of the Second World War mm-hmm. and sort of making these films slyly about that whilst making them melodramatic uh, films. Um, but yeah, so his, he increasingly used colour and his colour palettes were really bright and intense that were very much from the Cert in, uh, influence mm-hmm. and obviously culminating in the final film, Corel, which is it's, it's just visually, it's, <laughs> it's batshit crazy. It's all yeah. It's like these very, very intense colours and I know that he... Like I said, I haven't seen all that much from the second, uh, the end part of his career. The last yeah. like ten, I say the last ten years. I'm talking about he was only working for thirteen years. The last like <laughs> three years. Yeah. Um, but I know films like Lola, the cinema photography was similar to Corel with mm-hmm. these. Uh, was it also um, done in a way where there was almost like this massive set? No. So that's like an original thing for this okay, film. Cool. Um, which I'll get into in a sec. Oh no, it was going to be my next note anyway. Um, so in Corel, he just pushes that idea further of using all these primary colors um, to highlight things in very obvious, kind of ironic ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is another thing that Schlondorf pointed out was that he used the set designer from Cabaret. So he, yeah, yeah, so Corel yeah, yeah. Um, takes place on this massive. Uh, set yeah um and all the different different locations in the movie are all on the same set and mm-hmm. you can kind of see them in the background of each yeah. scene and you see the other sets which um, feels a bit like it's not meant to be there at the same time it is meant to be there because you like have, distance wise yeah because mm. you have scenes happening in the like background mm-hmm. and you know that you know the next scene might take place there but it feels almost like there's <laughs> this because of the distance mm-hmm. and it's so far but it's still the same set mm-hmm. feels like you're peeping into something you shouldn't be looking at yet uh-huh. anyway before we get into Corel, actually um i just wanted to point out that like this isn't like a glorification of fassbender because this fassbender was like a major talent obviously but mm-hmm. he was a very controversial figure in his time in terms of the way he lived his life with these other people he was kind of uh very abusive mm-hmm. it seems like they all had a very toxic relationship the way they were working together yeah. and you know there's you know he's he's he was a drug addict drug addict and an abuser and i think it's i think it's important to maybe like note that before yeah 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 a critical analysis where yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like i'm not i'm not here to um pretend that he wasn't uh that he was a saint or something like he was far from that um but anyway to talk about Corel. oh actually wait i wanted to talk about the guy who plays nono in Corel. uh-huh um remember him yeah yeah so he fell in love with that fassbender fell in love with this guy in the early 70s mm-hmm. um and when they met on the film bar uh, mm-hmm. uh, when i was talking about um and he became obsessed with him and would just buy him gifts constantly. And apparently he bought him four Lamborghinis. What? <laughs> um, and then that he kept, a bit excessive. Uh, it's very excessive. There's one Lamborghini now, but <laughs> change it up a bit. Um, but yeah, he, you know, he had this affair with him. And when it stopped, he still kept casting him in all of his movies. Um, wow. Right up until the end, they were good friends, you know. Um, so I think it's important to uh, give a basis of what Corel is. Mm-hmm. and it's source material um so it's adapted from the jean genet novel uh corel of Brest. uh corel de Brest. i'm not gonna do it <laughs> i just did it um which is uh it's a very famous uh text it was um it's definitely genet's most famous mm-hmm. uh thing that he wrote um uh, genet made a movie once he was primarily a writer i'll get into his like his history a little bit but um he made a short film called Un Chant d'Amour mm-hmm. so um and it's amazing we should watch it after this it's like 25 minutes long it's one of my favorite movies I love it anyway so um the general consensus is that Fassbender's film is very divisive uh, as an adaptation because 
it doesn't really adhere to the book very strictly. Um, and also people thought like the style of it was just too excessive. Um, it's very, it's very <laughs> excessive. Uh, and it's definitely his most explicitly gay film because mm-hmm. Fassbender was, a. Uh, I'm going to get back into that in a sec. Um, oh no, again, it's my next note. I keep saying I'm going to get into that and then it's my next note. Um, so in this, uh, when Schlondorf was talking about Fassbinder, he was talking about his evolution and how the beginning of his uh, his filmmaking career, um, he was a very macho, straight filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, and then he kind of, as he sort of learned about himself, he his films kind of, went along with him okay much more explicitly gay or he realized that in himself as well and obviously he's got a full throttle yeah he went full throttle with Carell being like the absolute pinnacle of it like this like it's the gayest movie it's one of the gayest movies I've seen I think um it's up there I wouldn't say it's the gayest Uh movie I've seen what would you say the gayest movie you've ever seen oh um Really this <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I'll think about it in the background. <laughs> we can bring it up later. Um, but yeah, he has gay characters in his films, like from the mid seventies. Um, in fact, Fox and His Friends. Mm-hmm. It's a great Fassbender movie. He plays the title character, uh, and uh, he's gay, and the whole thing is about his relationship with these other men and how they're sort of like taking advantage of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Shay. Correct me if I'm wrong, Shay. Uh, my friend Shay, yes, who did the um, the, logo. the logo for this show, she has a tattoo because um, in the movie uh, Fassbinder wears a jacket that says Fox on the back and these rhinestones, mm-hmm. and I think she's got a tattoo of like him wearing the jacket like from the back. And if I'm wrong, I do not know how I came up with that. So if you're <laughs> listening, Shay, I'm sorry if that's just not true. Um, it's so, like a dream. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the film's dedicated to El Hadi Ben Salem. Mm-hmm who was uh, one of Fassbinder's lovers, who he met in a sauna in Paris. Oh, I love that. And then he cast him in Fury Sassol as the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I read this, and then I couldn't remember where I read it, but apparently... Good source. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> Salem was a raging alcoholic as well, mm-hmm. and he apparently one day went out and like stabbed some people mm-hmm. and he ended up in a prison in France and he killed himself in like seven in the late 70s at some point in prison like he committed suicide yeah and Fassbinder didn't know about it until eight, 1982 how many years uh, it first? was like 77 oh so wow it was like, that's a long time yeah because he obviously just like knew that he'd gone to France or that he was in prison in France but mm-hmm. he didn't know he killed himself someone I don't know who hid it from him but he found out in 82 so that's why he Dedicated the movie to him. Oh, I see. Anyway, sorry, I was going to talk about John's name as well. And even in my notes, I, I apologize to myself for being like, no, Jordan, go back to the, the topic <laughs> you were talking about. So, yeah, I don't want to get too deep into the biography of him because, you know, that's maybe for another episode. I don't know. Um, but he was an interesting guy. He was um, given up for adoption by his mother, who was a prostitute, mm-hmm. um, because she couldn't look after him. And so he started, like, a, he got adopted by this family and he just started a life of petty crime and like ended up in like a penal colony mm-hmm. uh, and he had to serve in the legionnaires and he got discharged for uh performing homosexual acts um so he he just kept being in and out of his prison mm-hmm. in and out of his prison in and out of prison uh his whole life and um or his whole early life and whilst he was in there he started writing poetry and I don't know whether he wrote any books in prison, but um, much easier to keep track of poems than a novel. Yeah, 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 probably. Um, and when he got out of prison, uh, he somehow found Jean Cocteau in Paris. And Jean Cocteau is obviously like one of the most famous uh, gay writers and filmmakers like mm-hmm. of the time. Um, and he found Jean Cocteau, and Jean Cocteau loved his poems and stuff. So they became friends, and he got in that way um and later in his life he became like an activist and he was associated with the black panthers and some of their courts and uh los angeles i think and uh he spent some time in palestinian refugee camps as wow. his book. i've never read it 
um, Prisoner, Prison of Love or something like that, um, where he writes all about his experience there. Um, but yeah, so his novels, he wrote a few novels and plays, um, and they all sort of deal with themes of criminality. Um, like he sort of elevates all these criminal acts and like beautifies them as like uh, kind of like the existence of man being like a beautiful thing that we can like do, we can commit these horrible crimes. Um, and obviously, Corel, um, it's kind of goes hand in hand with Fassbender's sort of ideas as well and themes throughout his career before that. Um, yeah, I was right here as well. It's just like I was going to talk about the book in relation to the movie, but as I told you the other day, like, and I found the bookmark still in there. I got like about 80 pages through the book like five years ago. <laughs> so I couldn't really talk exactly about how well it translates. But um, okay, so I, I want to look at our written notes at this point. Oh, fair enough, huh? I haven't even said what the film's about, have I? No, you haven't. Okay, so Corel is about a sailor who arrives in this town of Brest and his brother is there and his brother is in a relationship with a woman who owns this bar slash yeah. brothel with her husband. What's it called? The Fafafa. The Fafafa. I can't remember what it's called. Feria? No. Feria, something like that. I think it's called the Feria. Uh, and there's this like implication that he and his brother and it are in love with each other. Yeah. Uh, and then basically Corel in a in a fit of passion or something he gets involved with doing some drug smuggling and then yeah. he's on the island with this guy who's sort of basically telling him that he wouldn't have sex with him he's like rejecting like any idea of that yeah. so then he Carell kills this guy and that's just the basic part and then other stuff happens but yeah. that's all we really need to say it's i was also snowball effect of what happens after that and essentially people are trying to find out who killed it's the guy. kind of like a and then sex. Yeah, it's kind of like a like a gay Dostoevsky kind of thing. It's like crime and punishment, but gay. Okay. That's a really good like poster tagline for it. Crime <laughs> and punishment, but gay. Um. So yeah, I mean, what are your notes, Issa? Mine. I wrote set like reminds me of Popeye. You ever see that Robert Altman Popeye movie with Robin Williams and uh, Shelley Duvall? Yeah, yeah. The sets on it look very much like. They're all kind of like these really obvious stage sets. Mm -hmm. What year was Popeye? Was that before? I have a feeling it was before Popeye film. 1980. Okay, so Corel rips off Popeye. <laughs> um, I wrote Golden Green and Pink Glow. Obviously, it's very obvious that the the vibrancy of the colors are an intentional thing, but I just really enjoyed the green and pink yes it had that so like all of the highlights whenever something was lit mm -hmm. a bit more it had that green brightness almost like if you took a picture like that you'd want to color correct it yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like you did the opposite of color correcting absolutely you just gave it that like everything was bathed in gold mm -hmm. well i actually had this really interesting thing that i was when i was reading about the movie mm -hmm. um someone was talking about how like innovative those aesthetics were those yeah. uh the lighting mm -hmm. um and that it's kind of like a querying of um the way movies are lit in that yeah. like the usual white light is rejected for this base orange hue mm -hmm. with these accents of like you're saying green and blue highlights um so that was a really nice way of like yeah. thinking about the movie mm -hmm. because of that i like that um let's say in fear acceptance say again did you you said Queering. Oh yeah, just like a queering of uh, traditional lighting, basically. Mm -hmm. um, it's everything that you see not these days, but you see a lot of stuff that they want to balance because you can when you color balance, it goes from um, warms to colds, and mm -hmm. everything is getting a bit colder. Mm -hmm. Like you went, I've done that warm. Yeah, it's a warm. <laughs> it's it's a warm, warm movie. Yeah, even though you know it should be cold, it's higher the sea. <laughs> But it was. I don't feel any know, of that it, it feels like it was constantly sunrising or sunset. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my second note is Jean Moreau old. So Jean Moreau, yeah. who's the only one who says Carrel, mm -hmm. um, famous French actress from uh, you know the French New Wave movies mm -hmm. and stuff. She was in Louis Malle movies and uh, True, 
Oh yeah, she's in um Dawson's Dawson's Yeah. Why'd you say old then? Because because this was in the sixties and she aged quite a lot over that twenty year period and this is eighty two. Yeah. And it's just interesting seeing her uh, slightly outside of that like prime that I've seen looking at most of her. She's the only woman in this movie. She is the only, the only woman in the movie. And wow. she is the trash as well. Right? <laughs> They're all kind of yeah, trash. Yeah, yeah. None on. of them are great people, but she's. Um, I don't think the movie likes her very much. Mm. Um, my next note is stalker predatory vibes, but the hues of color and stage setting makes it feel less aggressive. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess that ties into those uh, things I was saying about Janae sort of beautifying yeah. these ideas of horrible things men can do <laughs> it's like oh here's a bit of this bad thing but give it some shimmer give it some bling yeah 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 <laughs> um i wrote fassbinder regulars and then i found out about him buying him four lamborghinis i was like I oh i guess it. that's him um, um also i thought it was interesting um because there were a couple times where the the dialogue was kind of uh like adr or whatever like, yeah. oh that sounds a bit strange but like he got the film I suppose it happened a lot at the time, but uh, dubbed in the main languages, you got a German dub of it, and there's a French dub of it. Yeah. And um, in the notes, it said that uh, Catherine Breyer, who's a famous French film director, yeah, like she'd started her career already, but she got bigger a bit later. Yeah. Um, she did the French adaptation, so I guess she uh, must have translated it all into French. Oh, cool. Um, just interesting to see her name pop up there. That's mm-hmm. another note I had. Um, I wrote I wrote in the dark, so I can't actually. Oh, those cock statues! Oh my god! <laughs> so the set. Oh yeah, maybe this is the gayest movie I've ever seen. So the sets, like we said, are kind of wild, and um, there's these statues on the edge of the. What do you call that? Um, like you know when there's a building that's kind of on a cliff, mm. but there's also like a walk space before yeah. that cliff ends, and it's sort of the cliff that goes down. Like a man-made one yeah. that goes down into the whatever water you've got. And it kind of feels like a pillar. Yeah, it's like, like a pillar, pillars. but it's just a massive penis. There's yeah. like three or four of them. Yeah. They're like, they're so good. There's a really good poster of it. We should get that poster. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, my next note is flaunting sexuality, which is pretty obvious at yeah. this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my notes are all over the place. Oh, there's a bit when John Moreau sings uh, Each Man Kills the Thing He Knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which was apparently that. nominated for a Razzie. You know, the Razzie Awards? They're like the anti Oscar. The They're like the anti Oscar Awards for like bad movies. So, like, they nominated that song for a Razzie. Interesting. Which, like, I, I don't understand why. It's like a line taken from like an Oscar Wilde play or something. Yeah. But she just sings that over and over again. But it's a great song. It's always stuck in my head. Yeah, you were singing along to it. Uh, yeah, oh my god. Yeah. Mm. She died from a few years ago. Mm. Yeah, really sad. I wrote death sad face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, there's there's some amazing sequences like that choreographed knife dance the Blue Brothers have. Oh yeah. Which is like what brings you back to the like visual stage stageness of mm. it because a knife fight like that in the movie it wouldn't really look like that yeah 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 and there's lots of uh, uses of mirrors and stuff I noticed a lot which is very Serkian kind of influence yeah, yeah. Um, also the movie's punctuated with these white screens with quotes that come up which mm-hmm. are either quotes from the original text of Pharrell or they're quotes from other famous like either queer things or like things about like the horrors of man and stuff like that and so yeah. that was a, a really nice way of doing it um yeah exactly it's kind of into chapters and it's also interesting taking other texts and bringing them into this because one thing i didn't say is at the beginning it doesn't say this is an adaptation of Mm corel it says this is a film about corel yeah so it's like the film is up front being like this is not a straight up adaptation of the book this is a fascinating interpretation of that um which i think is very interesting um so, like I, I kind of wanted to move on to the idea of uh, politics in queer cinema. Mm-hmm. So, I think there's often assumptions that queer texts have to have a political aim 
yeah like as a kind of like uh buying back of your culture or like expressing like uh something progressive in the philosophical thinking but Genet obviously is his texts are not about that they're not about they're about violent gay men basically yeah which is obviously you know in some people's eyes would be a very damaging representation but then there's also this idea of you don't have to like queer texts don't have to have an aim of like trying to get yourself seen in a world that you're not seen it's mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. it's just yeah i know what you mean it's that um this is what it is sometimes so this is my depiction of my own reality yeah like Janae's not coming from a place of being like i'm oppressed and i want to be able to like express the horrors that happen to gay people it's like yeah. no i'm a person who wants to explore like the existential crisis of man mm-hmm. and I am gay as well, so yeah, like yeah, my yeah. characters are gay killers, you know. It's mm-hmm. not. Uh, I just think uh, it's interesting to talk about it in those in those terms. Yeah. You may as well have everyone be gay in your movie as a as a gay man who is, you know, you're writing from your experiences, but if it's what you know, that's how you're going to write about. Yeah, absolutely, and this doesn't have to be like a liberating piece of art. Because mm-hmm. uh, you should be allowed to explore the dark sides of humanity and perversion, mm-hmm. as you know, whatever person you are. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of where some people took a bit of gripe with Fassbinder's adaptation is that Genet's stuff, although it's very uh, poetic um, and kind of grandiose in the text, like it's all very like fanciful writing. Um, People took issue with it, um, with Fassman sort of aestheticizing it in this almost candy kind of yeah. way. Whereas Janae's texts are very much about his time in prison and mm-hmm, uh, stuff yeah. like that, and actually being a poor orphan kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but then again, like I said, that poetic sort of fun nature of the, the way he writes and sort of like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like transgressive ideas. It kind of, I think, Fassbinder, the way Fassbinder deals with it, by aestheticizing it this way, doesn't take away from that. No, no, no. no. Um, but yeah, on turn, I just wanted to add on in relation to what we were talking about, um, uh, about in what are we talking about? <laughs> Which part? Um, the one about the assumptions of queer text having to have a political aim or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like. It would be very different if a straight filmmaker was making a film about killer gays. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, yeah. that being said, I was thinking about the William Friedkin movie *Cruising* with Al Pacino, which is basically about what it's a straight man making a movie about a gay serial killer. But it's so good. <laughs> I love that movie so much. It's like Al Pacino going undercover into all these New York gay BDSM bars and stuff. It's so much fun. But, you know, that film got a lot of flack at the time. That was a couple of years before. It was 1980, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to do with who is saying the thing yeah. as well. I guess it's just a really interesting thing to be aware of as well, is that, you know, <clears throat> thinking about is something trying to be political or is it, does it just happen to have themes that some people may deem as a political commentary on something is it just the theme that you're dealing with or is it an actual yeah well as well i was thinking about um what comes after fasting and what comes after corral mm-hmm. in terms of these sort of um campy interpretations of trans- transgressive ideas and i think about it into american cinema in the late 80s and the late 90s and in the 90s even sorry with people like greg Araki. um who kind of do the same thing. It's like, I was thinking about Nowhere. Yeah. That film's not, like, trying to liberate anyone, you know? Yeah, it's it's yeah. a film that is having fun with its transgressive nature and mm-hmm. just fucking around with it and, like, not meeting expectations of what queer cinema is for, like, straight interpretation, mm-hmm. where, like, it's like a Brokeback Mountain thing yeah, or whatever. Okay. Um, it's more like fuck you. I can do whatever the fuck I want. This is exactly. This is just me expressing myself in my art. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, again, Greg Araki, I think we should do an episode on him soon. Oh my God, absolutely. That would be really, really fun. I'd love to, to spend a week just watching Greg, Greg Araki movies like back to back. That would be amazing. That, Maybe oh not God, like more be so than good. one a day. That would be a bit intense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, what else? What else to say? Um, so, I it's... Oh, this idea of like hyper masculinity and stuff. Oh God, I yeah. love how. <laughs> I mean, first of all, there's only one woman. There's only one woman <laughs> in the movie, and all of their vests are cut just above the nipple. Like they come yeah. right down here. Mm-hmm. Like the nipples are just there. Um, but you know, it calls to mind people like you know uh, Thomas Finland. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I thought about that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this idea of those kind of uh, that same physical, like representation of a gay man as well that like tight tight waist like big pecs big pecs uh-huh. and even if you're a smaller person or a bigger person you still have that like you're wearing that vest and your pecs are like poking uh-huh, absolutely <laughs> um but but yeah i mean thomas finland his stuff was popular before this movie came out and it felt like it's the kind of thing that he probably would have been very aware of. Oh, right. This is obviously like sailors and stuff. But it wasn't just Tom of Finland. There's sailors, lots of other gay magazines be... and stuff in the 50s and stuff. Yeah. And, but in yeah. the movie, there's also the fire... fireman. Is he fireman? Is he not fireman? Oh, there was something, weren't there? I think they were fireman. But there are different... Bu- Builder-looking fireman. Yeah, yeah, it looked yeah. like they had the, um, the like, pull-up trousers like, that have the... What do you call those things? Britches. The britches. Yeah, the britches. Oh my god, I really hope they're called britches. I would look it up. Oh, okay. Oh my britches. god, no, britches are the. <laughs> oh my, britches are the trouser things I'm thinking of. Yeah, but the picture you brought up of britches looks like the trousers people wear when they go first. <laughs> okay, ignore me. Okay, suspenders. Suspenders. The trousers like thick trousers with suspenders. Anyway, yes. they look like firemen. And then there's that one policeman. Oh yeah, he's a friend though. Yeah, I'm just saying. Oh my god. Okay, okay. Wait, but one thing I did not realize until the end of the movie is that the brother is the same actor who plays the other guy who's accused. (gasps) Right? Because there's the bit where he puts on the mustache, and I was like, he looks just like his brother. It's like, oh, it's because he is his brother. I swear there was like some weird, like mind, mind, there's some mind game. Because I feel like his hair was a bit longer. Like the brother's hair looked a bit longer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they were like trying to make you think that they were siblings. I guess it really. kind of speaks again to this idea of him being in love with his brother because he's in love with this guy. Mm-hmm. There's this. Uh, but they had two completely different actors. They did. Um, That's yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, what else do I have to say? I don't know if I have anything. Uh, I already talked about campus ethics. And- in a relationship with Aspen, uh, um, about like their their take on femininity, because there were so many moments, especially from like mid movie towards the end, where there were so many comments on, like, I wrote here. I think there was a, something someone said about the woman inside me, the woman, the woman inside. inside me. Yeah, and yeah, I, and I, I wrote softness plus love equals femininity, and. No, I've got, and then my next note is it's almost as if gayness can only be consumed in a physical manner. So it feels like anytime there was feelings involved, like their love, just in being in love with someone else, never felt like romance. It always felt like a physical representation of of love, which I guess is sex yeah. in many ways. I guess it ties into this like ironic approach with this idea of hypermasculinity yeah. being like a, a facade for something. You know? Yeah. And someone says at one point, it's like, Wait, um, yeah, the absence of woman means that man needs to create femininity for women, to invent the woman. Mm. But there must have been a quote that I paraphrased. Yeah, that is a quote I remember coming up in the screen. To invent the woman. I guess that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I was smarter, I'd be like, oh yeah, I can take a philosophical interpretation of that. But, um, I'm just reading quotes. My, uh, my, your quotes. My quotes. <laughs> My notes. Um, My notes. Yeah. So, any, any more notes? Anything else around related you want to talk um, about? The last note that I do have says, the wife comments on her husband. Wait, is, is she married to Nona? Yeah, married to Nona. Okay. 
the wife comments on her husband's femininity showing more after he fucks Karel. I noticed that. Mm-hmm. So like maybe Nono was showing some more femininity because he had this physical desire to be with Karel, mm-hmm. but also this romantic desire. And I guess sort of ties in yeah. to them like needing to create so when they have sex or when they're together they're creating something else amongst the sex does that make sense I think I know so they're creating mean, yeah. a type of femininity that comes with love and softness which isn't just this physical consumption of sex and so maybe he was he had this afterglow but this afterglow was a bit of he was acting a little bit more feminine mm. because he had just made love or had sex with this guy that he liked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was also trying really hard. I mean, these are all the spoilers, but Nono was trying really hard to show off to people that he had fucked Corel. Oh my god, anytime anyone comes in, he's just like, yeah, so I fucked Corel. <laughs> and it's like, are you just flaunting or are you, are you just trying to show off that you've got him because he feels almost untouchable? Yeah, because the whole idea in this is that Corel's never fucked a man before. Yeah, oh, no. and like been fucked by me, and like had never kissed a man on the mm-hmm. lips. Yeah, yeah even yeah. when he has sex with Nona, they don't kiss. It's just like this ravenous. It wasn't that ravenous. It was just this. They were very sweaty. They were I mean, dripping. I mean, it was, looks like summer. It does no. look, doesn't it? <laughs> it looks like nothing. There's <laughs> like no season looks like that. It's like the apocalypse. Orange it's like that 6 a.m. sunrise. Yeah, but where you're just stuck in time. <laughs> and it feels hot. It does feel hot. What was what was the time frame in the movie? I think only a few days. A few days. No one goes to sleep. No one sleeps at any point. <laughs> oh my god! And uh, Franco Nero plays his sea captain who's in love with him. Yeah. Who's record- it's really interesting the way they layer these different ideas of voiceovers because there is a voiceover. This incredible voice. I couldn't find. I couldn't find anywhere who the voice is who narrates mm-hmm. it. But he has this incredible voice. Do you remember him saying all those great things? You're like, I, yeah. I was the narrator of this movie. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> but then there's also this ongoing thing where um, the sea captain talks into his uh, dictaphone yeah. about how in love he is with uh, Corel, and it's it's also kind of works as like a an inner monologue of kind of things. It's mm-hmm. amazing. I don't know. It's Man, just Corel's really <laughs> tearing up the streets. He is. And um, the sheets. And the sheets. Um, also, okay, this is going to be an actual spoiler, so like a full-on ending spoiler I just wanted to talk about. This is not how the book ends. I looked into this. And so the film ends by Lizzie Ann, who's the woman who runs the bar, um, saying she's reading the tarot cards like she was doing at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then she says to Corel's brother, like, oh, I was wrong. You don't have a brother. Yeah, the movie. Huh? In the movie. In the movie, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought you were saying about the book. I was like, no, no, that's how... No, 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 in the movie. It's like, you don't have a brother. And then they're all laughing. And I was like... And then you see, like, through a window or a reflection, Corel yeah. standing there. And it's like, is that an implication that Corel has, like, been not this real thing, but this, like, idea buried in the brother? In the brother. Because also, don't they mention at the beginning, or the whole vibe of it is that the brothers he's in love with his brother yeah um it's just a very interesting ending i thought especially so if that's not in the book i can't i can't you looked it up but you didn't i read the last few pages it didn't um... seem like that happened i could be wrong <laughs> anyone who's come here who's watched the movie and read the book come at me at me at um i don't have a twitter I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch alone. Just do that on on Instagram if I'm wrong, because um I can't be just giving out flagrant false information like this. <laughs> um, but yeah, any other final thoughts on the movie before we do some fun roundup? Um, did you like the movie? I didn't even I haven't even asked you. I wanted to kind of save our talk for this until our talk. Yeah, I liked the movie. I liked it. I feel like because. I feel like the way that I um, react to a movie has a lot to do with what kind of mood I'm in. And because leading up to this, we weren't watching much queer cinema. Because the reason why we watched this is because I was like, 
Jordan, can we watch something gay? Mm-hmm. And then we made a list of quite like queer films. So leading up to it, I hadn't really prepared myself for how different this movie would be from how you know the previous ten films that we'd watched. Yeah, so I feel like this could be So I did like it, but I feel like I want to sit with it for a bit and then revisit some of it after I've watched. After I'm in a bit more of a gay mood, yeah, if that makes sense. I feel- so you know, it's it's difficult to know how to rate things, but I definitely give it like a three and a half stars out of five, right, for right, example. Right. I see. Well, because I was thinking it's a very interesting film as like a first Asperger film to watch. Yeah. Because it's very much unlike his other movies. In fact, like people were talking about it as like a transitional part of his work in his like Uber or whatever. And transitional. As in, in yeah, exactly. So it was going to be a transitional work where he was going to do these more heightened things like this, but then he died. Imagine what the world would have been like if he lived for at least five more years and would have made like a hundred more years. Um, but yeah, I just think that's it's a very interesting place to start with him because it's very much unlike his other movies. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are thematics there and some of the like Brechtian acting and stuff that sort yeah. of carries through. But um, it's an interesting place to start. I think it would be interesting for us to maybe watch some other past members. Oh, I'd like, re- like to revisit for Easter Soul because I remember that being one of my favorite mm-hmm, movies. Mm-hmm. I feel like as we're on this kind of wave now, we can keep going with it. Well, absolutely. Rather than like bounce back to. Um, well that's the thing as well with with the way i'm structuring this podcast now i'd very much like for isa if she'd like to i'm just doing this on air so she has to say yes it's like when someone asks you to marry them in a public place um Uh (laughs) um, i want to maybe have you as like my regular guests and like we can pick a director or a film movement together each time maybe Mm -hmm. something that i'm not that familiar with you're not that familiar with and we can come in at it different levels of knowledge i mean it's pretty easy because we have conversations like these um a little less research after like after movies that we do watch yeah, we just sat true. there it's like 11 p.m we have to go to bed like no no no. but how about that one thing yeah yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah. Just talk for three months. so this is a taste of what it's like to live with movies, so. <laughs> um i realized with michael i said his full name and his aka i haven't actually i've just called you isabel like, well, how do you want to be known? What's like when I write this on the podcast? Will it say uh, Fastbender's Corral with Isa? Uh, well, I feel, feel like I have many different ways in which I could go. <laughs> I say, I, I know what, just call me Isa. I just Issa. Like Issa. Oh, that's kind of cool. It's kind of like a yeah. Like, because you know the reason why I don't me. use my last name so much is because it's so long, like Isabel Gambardella, mm. and a lot of people that know me as Isabella, my name's Isabella Gambardella. And that's just a bit too long. Like, no one wants to have to read that or, like, write that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Which is why I've been going with Suwon, which is my middle name, mm-hmm. my mom's last name. But, again, it's, like, Isabel Suwon. It doesn't have, like, that flow, that, like, nice taste to it. So, Issa, just do that. Um, there you go. Isn't that the name of the film in Twilight, then? That's on the Absolutely. Bella that Swan. book was written about me. You said it doesn't have a flow. Like, there's a book. Yeah, but she's called Bella. Bella Swan. And I don't like that. So I, you don't want me to write with Bella Swan? Maybe it'll get more listens if I do that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not going to change my change my name again. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I did do that on Facebook once. Yeah? Like, leading up to um, Breaking Dawn Part 2 coming out. I changed my name to Bella Swan. But it was S. It was written how my, my yeah, middle yeah, name yeah. was written, so I didn't feel like I was trying to be her. Uh-huh. But I was like, she is me. So. <laughs> uh, amazing um yeah i mean what i do with michael on my roundup is i wanted to do a little bit of book corner uh-huh. so can you maybe tell me a book that you would recommend or have been reading um well i have been reading the same book for about three months now <laughs> i no way it's been that long i um it's been a while it's been a while and it's not even a novel it's like a book of short stories <laughs> so i won't mention that because I'm only like a few pages in. Well, so it's good you don't mention that because the lost episode, I was going to release a second episode that was different to this, but then it had a change of plan. Book Corner on the lost episode was that book. Was that book? Okay, well, in that case, I won't mention it. (laughs) And no one's going to know what I'm talking about because I haven't (laughs) mentioned it. Um, But similar to the book that I read before that was The First Bad Man by Miranda Blythe. And, you know, 
my love for her has gone from not really knowing who she was as of last year yeah. to now being quite like gently obsessed with her. Yeah, she's incredible. So that book was such a fun, easy, like roller coaster ride of emotions, and it was such a good read. Like I really, really, really enjoyed that. It wasn't. It, it just felt like having that glimpse into Miranda's brain, but also her just telling me something. Uh-huh. You know? Didn't feel like someone sat down to like write this. It just felt like something spilled out of her brain. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Here you go. I have a story for you. Yeah, I wish I had that kind of artistic <laughs> anything. <laughs> yeah, I can't like. It's so difficult to have. I mean, I'd say that because I'm not that type of a creative person yeah. like I don't come up with stories and have these fantastical ideas but to have a brain that works in that way where you're just like oh I have these characters and I, I want them to do stuff mm. and I want them to feel these things and make you feel these things that's that's amazing I think so I, can't, good. I can't think of ever coming up with a character I don't have a character in my mind you know they're always All the just characters like a that I've thing. come up with in my mind, like that I've had to write for school and stuff, have been one form of plagiarism. <laughs> oh, oh my god, one hundred percent! I wrote this essay, essay it wasn't an essay, a, a short story in English in like year ten or eleven or something, and I ripped off the plot of Fight Club, <laughs> but placed it in World War One, and oh I got god. like the highest grade, and the woman who uh the teacher who wrote uh gave me the mark she wrote on it um this uh sent chills down my down my spine oh my god but is that so it was the plot of fight club not directly obviously it wasn't like there wasn't an actual fight club but i did this whole idea of like someone having an imaginary person that fight club spoilers <laughs> someone <laughs> <laughs> someone imagining that there's someone else is there the whole time that is actually just another part of themselves you know when it comes to stories as long as there is an element to your own creativity man. Peter is my defense so mine for book corner because I have to say something every week but I'm definitely not going to have read a book every week I just started reading uh, David Lynch's shout for the last episode autobiography but I'm only like 10 pages in. So it's like, massive. You're it's not going to read that in one week. No. If you um, didn't have a job, I'd say maybe. Yeah, I'm employed. So. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to pick a book at random from the bookshelf that I really like. Um, Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl is a book that, since I read it, I, just, I think about it a lot uh, yeah. by Andrea Lawler. Yeah, I think it was It was such a great novel. Mm-hmm. I had so much fun with it, and I highly recommend it. And yeah. as we've got, a, I guess, a kind of a queer idea this week, I don't want anything to be like queer sig- idea. I don't want anything to be signaled as like this is the queer week or whatever because like mm. I feel like most of what I want to do will be that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Andrea Lawless pulls takes as it should be because no hetero, no hetero, but... <laughs> no hetero. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's great for book corner. Um, we'll close close the book on that. Oh, okay, it's yeah. cute, right? It's uh-huh. a um, so yeah, uh, <clears throat> any final thoughts before we sign off? just excited for what's to come yes next week i mean i have a few ideas with a few people who have actually contacted me about doing stuff Ooh, i've got friends you know i didn't realize people would actually want to be involved but it's actually warms my heart that people are actually engaging with this and Uh obviously this week's going to be slightly different and hopefully going forward people enjoy this because i like the idea of being able to provide a kind of light-hearted version of Mm a with the actual interesting facts it's like in class you're not going to learn about him buying his lover for lamborghinis yeah you might do that research on your own but your your professor doesn't care yeah oh those were always my favorite professors at film at films class were the ones who kind of made it fun i had one i didn't have many (laughs) i had one who always used to tell all these stories about pasolini that like Mm -hmm. i'm not sure whether they're actually true but he obviously his research thoroughly. Yeah. Mm. But it was always like, ooh, ooh. Mm. Um, mine were just always too like this teacher dead on. this teacher also said he walked with one walked worked with one car wire and that he's an asshole. Why would you say that on the podcast? Why would I not? <laughs> no, ruin the dream. <laughs> I doubt I mean he probably is an asshole, but he's great. We'll do a week on him too. Cool. Amazing. Um 
And that's just the week of watching the same movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that's it for this episode. I yeah. hope you guys have enjoyed it, this different format, this different <clears throat> idea. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, at this point, you'll probably know this, but I'm hoping that if anyone who wants to actually really kind of get involved with this, like, contact me. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to watch the movie we're going to talk about, I'm going to post a day or two ahead of time, maybe yeah. a bit longer. And I can send a link out or, you know, get it to you somehow. Give you the password to all of his um, movie watching. Yeah, exactly. Uh, application. Exactly. Because um, if this can be like in kind of like a book club, but a film club, I said as a film clubs don't exist, mm-hmm. um, it would be really cool. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And goodbye. See you next week when I'll be See talking about. Next week. I don't know. But yeah, we don't know yet. We don't. We know. don't. No, it's not my thing. I don't know. Peace out. <laughs>